This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. I think there's this feeling about when you say that you have a designer, that all of a sudden you're like, oh no, they're going to cost me a million dollars and then they're going to make all these selections. They're going to be out of budget, you know, and it's like this big grand old thing. And yeah, I don't think people quite understand what we do, where our place is, why you should use a designer. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's up, guys? Today, we have a great different episode with Tina Thomas. We are talking about design, interior design, exterior design, architecture. Tina is based in Houston. She started out flipping houses and now launched a business that has become extremely successful helping investors and home buyers fix their homes, design their homes so that they can increase the value. We talk about it so much on the show and in the podcast that it's a challenge to know what's worth rehabbing and what's not worth rehabbing in your home or in the exterior interior. She does this specifically. So she goes into homes, looks at what could be done or should be done and helps people decide what will get them the best bang for their buck. My main learning from the episode was it does not hurt to get this opinion. It kind of reminded me of how people sometimes don't call a lawyer or an accountant to get advice because they think they're gonna get charged a lot. It's the same thing with this. It's worth doing, but most times there's not even a charge to do it. She talks about how she makes money, how she charges people, 
and it's worth calling anytime you have a question. She can walk you through if it makes sense or not and won't be pushing and charging you uh, just for a consultation. So you could send her pictures of the property, video of the property, and she'll give you an idea of what her ideas would be and what she thinks could be done or should be done or shouldn't be done. And that can be really helpful. Today's tangible tip, uh, getting someone's name right. Two tips. If they spell it in email, you literally have no excuse not automatically get it right. And that is such a credibility loss. So names are such an important thing. If you guys have read how to influence, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, uh, that's a huge thing to actually just say their name, but also to spell it right. And here's one that I've had to kind of learn, especially now recording the podcast and meeting so many people in the Facebook group. There are a lot of names that I don't know how to pronounce. And you know what? I would sometimes just try to struggle through it and figure it out and feel like silly. Now, a little trick or thing that I've heard people do, and now I do anytime, and it just takes this thing out of it. I just ask, how do you pronounce your name? So I can get it right on the front end. I jot it down or I sound it out just on a piece of paper. And then that way, I don't have to worry about making that mistake in the future or not asking and then getting it right the whole time. And then I hear someone else say it and realize I've been saying it wrong the whole time. So two little things, tangible tips to be better with names. One, uh, if they say it in an email, just make sure that you look back and get it right again. And two, if you're not sure how to pronounce it, just ask. And then from there, you'll have it for every time. So hope those help. Great episode today with Tina Thomas. All right, Tina, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, hello. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. I was saying before we hit record, I feel like this happens more and more these days that we just, we hit, have to hit record because we're already talking about stuff that I know people <laughs> want to know about. And it's just, it's just fun. So from a high level, Tina, can you just give us a quick overview of how you got into doing what you're doing on the real estate side and working with investors or multifamily people, flippers, and then now from a high level also, what is the business today? Okay. So as most people in your life, in life, you don't have a straight arrow, right? You go to school, you know, you go out, you get your job and you do exactly what you say you're going to do. And life is great. And you move forward. Right. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't always happen. So, um, and with me, it kind of bebopped around and I, I made a full circle. So my degree is actually in architecture and I practice commercial architecture. Enjoyed it. Um, happy for the education, uh, but I found myself getting very bored sitting in an, a firm in front of a computer all the time. Hmm. So I left and I started doing sales, outside sales. And I liked the interaction with people, but I really, really missed the creative side and the technical side. And so I always found myself doing things on the side constantly. And then you fast forward and went to one of the lovely Rias that we've all been to. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Yeah, I think it's time to, to kind of get back to this world. And so I started on the investing side on single family, uh, some flips, you know, that kind of stuff. And of course, my focus was design. It's still what I what You I were do. doing flips yourself or helping people? I was flips. doing it myself. Okay. Got yeah. It. And then as I was doing it, of course, the passion of the design side was full on and the investing part, I was like, I know this makes sense financially. However, <laughs> the passion for the design side really kicked in. And especially, you know, you talk to other people, I network like crazy. And I realize that, you know, a lot of things that are second nature to me, I realized were not to other mm. people. And so I would see 
things that people were doing or not doing. And I thought, you know, why the heck aren't they doing this? Mm. They didn't know. And it wasn't just, oh, why did you pick that paint color? Yeah, it's a lot of people think it's, you know, when it comes to design, it's HGTV, right? It's go in, make it pretty, and off you go. And design goes so much further than paint color that's on a wall. You know, paint color is almost the last thing. Like there's so much before you have to get right before the paint color is really going to make a difference. And so I just kept doing more and more design. And I had people come to me thinking that I only did my own design work. And I was like, well, no, I'm like, I do it for other people too. And of course, then I completely went that direction <laughs> to where um, I, I do still do investing, but it's definitely my secondary. Uh, my design is absolutely 100% what I do. Mm. But I do uh, single family, multifamily, interior, exterior, and the common space. And I say common space that could actually be single and multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, and just from my architecture background, I did both mm -hmm. before. And to me, when I say design, and that's why I don't consider myself like an interior designer, because it, I'm not really because mm -hmm. I, I deal with inside outside the overall space all of that because to me that all goes together sure um so that's kind of i say what i do now mm -hmm. i guess sort of how i got here <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's good it's good and i'm glad you said the part about interior exterior because it's funny the first project or the way that i think we got connected was i saw you posted something or someone posted something about a finish on an exterior of a multifamily. And, you know, I actually, the more I think about it, I rarely see those being posted. Um, I, I don't know if it's people that just aren't familiar with it, or they, they maybe just aren't like prone to posting pictures on the internet of like finished projects. But I remember that one, it really stood out because it was like a flipped house, but of an apartment building. And then the interiors as well, it was like a new building. So can you just talk a little bit about like how you got into working with investors on multifamily and also like when they typically bring you in at what point in the process, because like going back to now the listeners, I feel like a lot of them are not sure what to do on properties to increase the value or to actually make something look better or actually like, like function better, but they're, they're kind of guessing or they're dealing with contractors. I feel like a lot of times instead of people that do design and I don't know. Like, I don't know the balance between when do you bring in someone that does design versus contracting. So uh, kind of a big yeah. question, but when do you typically get brought in? And then how do they, like, how do you work with contractors typically on a job or not at all? So very good questions. Uh, I think there's this feeling about when you say that you have a designer, that all of a sudden you're like, oh no, they're going to cost me a million dollars. And then they're going to make all these selections. They're going to be out of budget, you know, and it's like this big grand old thing. And yeah, I don't think people quite understand what we do, where our place is, why you should use a designer. Um, and as far as when we get brought in, honestly, the earlier, the better. And it is different for, I would say, every person, I think, because I have an architectural background. I feel very comfortable in the beginning because I'll do floor plans. I don't do construction documents. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and difference between the two, construction documents are what go to the city to get permits. So if you have to get a stamp and you have to get permits from a city, those are construction documents. I don't do those, don't wanna do those. <laughs> That's good. That brings me back to my computer days. Um, but I do work with um, investors on floor plans. And the difference of that is sometimes you go in and you can't see what the what your options are. Yeah, so when you've got single family or multifamily, you have a lot of the same situations. So when you think single family, people automatically think of, oh, I'm going to open up walls. I'm going to make things, you know, open concept, all this kind of stuff. Well, sometimes on multifamily, especially when you get into smaller units, not your, you know, 300 plus buildings, um, there are opportunities because sometimes what you have, there could be a better way of laying things out because mm -hmm. there's a few of them that I'm working on right now that the space just didn't make sense. Like it was wasted space. And mm -hmm. we're actually getting two units out of what was one. Well, if you get wow. two units out of one, guess what? Your NOI goes up. So there's different ways to, to look at, at, at the architecture of a building. So sometimes I get brought in for that. And then if you do need construction documents, you can basically hand mine off to somebody else. Or I do work with architects as well. So I'm definitely I, like, I work with different people and contractors, absolutely. I have all of them in my phone. I have like, Josh contractor, you know, Juan contractor, <laughs> I'm right, on my right. phone. Because especially when you're doing a remodel and a multifamily remodel, you do not know what's going to happen when you open those walls. And there's almost always a surprise. So what the original intent is, does not mean that's what happens at the end because things happen. So I work very closely with the contractors so that throughout the project, we're not having to kind of make this little loop, you know, between all parties before you get to me. Now it could mm -hmm. be in conjunction, but you know, the quicker I know things, the better I can help people. And that's how it should be so, on any project. Gotcha. So, so what's a typical way or a typical like ask or time that someone will call you like these days and say, mm -hmm. I have a project. Can you come take a look at it? Is it, is it, like big projects, small projects, like just for the listener trying to conceptualize what you do and how you help people. What does it typically look like today? I, it varies. Yeah. <laughs> so um, like I have one that he's got a, a complex under contract. He's looking to mm -hmm. close in January, but he already brought me in because he's pretty certain that he's going to be closing on this. It's just literally a matter of the time it takes. Um, and so he went ahead and brought me in because on this one, we're starting from scratch. So, Oh, it's new development. Well, no, I mean, it's starting from scratch in the sense that it was already gutted, but it's oh, an oh, old gotcha. building and gotcha. it's yeah. Like half the, half the brick has fallen off. Um, wow. but mm -hmm. I got brought in early because we knew there was going to be some time involved because we have to completely do new floor plans and like all these kind of things. So I was brought in early because the biggest thing for him was, hey, I think I can get X amount of units in here. I needed to be able to verify that for him. Hmm. So I needed to be able to say, okay, well, if you want to do five units on this floor, this is about how big your units are going to be. If you do four units, this is how big your units are going to be. So that helped give him some guidance on his numbers 
so that he knew, okay, this is what I can calculate. This is now going to be an eight unit complex instead of a nine, because this makes more sense. So how much of it is him coming with an idea versus you coming with an idea based on what the property is like today? Or, or do you each come with options? Yeah, it, it depends on the client. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them, I think, have a little bit more vision than others do. And so like for him, because he's been doing this for so long, he had a pretty good idea of what he thought he could do with the property. He just kind of need a little reassurance on it. Mm -hmm. um, other people, they have no idea. Right. They're, you know, it's kind of like, what do I do? <laughs> let's, let's talk about that scenario. Let's say yeah. <laughs> someone's coming to you that has, that has no idea. They, they just either bought a house or an apartment complex and they know they, they quote unquote got a deal because let's say the area shows much higher market rents than what they're getting today, but they're not sure what to do design wise or construction wise to bring the value up or to just make it as good as it can be under a certain budget. So in that scenario, what happens? So because there's people in different markets and, and I do work in different markets, I do a lot of stuff virtually. Yeah. Uh, don't like that word, but you know what I mean, remotely. Uh, <laughs> but so if I ask for a budget, it doesn't mean I'm asking for actual dollar amounts because dollar amounts in Houston are going to be different than dollar amounts in the East Coast, the West Coast, you know what I mean? So what I ask for is more of a, hey, is this going to be a I've got a tight budget situation? Is this, oh my God, this is like the deal of the lifetime and you've got you know, tons of things to do. So if I have an idea of where we're sitting, that tells me, okay, let's not open so many walls or, Hey, let's take advantage of this opportunity and let's go ahead and do what's the best thing to do for the space. So it's more, I ask for guidance on that part. Um, and an investor should at least know that part, you know, they should know sure. kind of where they sit. Um, and that even mm -hmm. comes down to the finishes too. It's like, I ask for ballparks, like, hey, are we going for the grand? That never happens, but <laughs> we're going for the grand. Um, right. Or is it pinching pennies? Or is it kind of like, we can be where we need to be? Meaning, you know, for this area, maybe it's like $2 a square foot for the flooring. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the apartments I do, it's under a dollar for the, for the flooring, you know? So, and that's mm -hmm. fine. My biggest thing is it, I don't care what value the property is, meaning it's a million dollar place. It's a $200,000 place, whatever it is. I want to do best bang for the buck for that place. Because for me, the end user, your, your tenants and that kind of thing, you want them to be like, oh my gosh, I can afford this. You know, and that's the best thing in the world for me. Well, mm. even though I don't know those tenants and I'm working through the investor, I want to be able to give that because guess what? That reflects back on the investor. It's like, totally. it's like, oh, this person cared totally. enough, you know? Yeah. 100%. So, so like in a typical process, let's, let's say it kind of works out like this. Uh, investor comes, you guys do a walkthrough, you go through, um, a couple of the units, you look at the exterior, the, the building. And then at that point, are you going back and starting to work up design plans that then will be brought back and talk through? And then does a, does a contractor get brought in at a certain point to then 
or, or someone else to actually do the physical labor? Or are you, I guess I'm trying to understand how involved are you or like, where is the handoff point between um, planning and then executing? So if they're not, there's a couple different scenarios. So if they're not using an architect, we'll go with that scenario first. So how often is, let's say in a multifamily, like a, like a 40 unit, how often is someone using an architect that you work with? On remodels, honestly, not that often because okay, yeah. a lot of times they're keeping what's there unless, right, okay. unless it's the situations where you are going in and you're getting creative, but gotcha. so let's a lot say of, it's not, it's not too creative. I, I feel like most people that are listening to this, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're like your typical value add, like multifamily. Like, yeah. I, I think they'd be panicking if they were thinking about knocking down walls <laughs> and they wouldn't want to bring in an architect or opening up walls. So, okay. Yeah. Let's say, let's say it, there isn't one involved. Um, Again, I, earlier the better that I get brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say they they already know this is a killer deal, right? They already know they're going to buy this property. That's great. It re- pretty much at that point, it's good to bring in um, a designer, I would say, uh, because some things that for you, you might be like, and I had this happen before. Mm. So the client was like, oh, I'm going to put a new roof on. Didn't tell me. And all of a sudden a new roof's going on. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, it was a totally different color than everything I was going with. So sometimes you have situations like that, that you're not thinking about how one thing ties to another. You're just like, oh, well, I need a roof and a roofer is available. So I'm just going to go ahead and send him out there. It's like, no, 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 And so that's why the earlier you can do it, the better. Because even if you know, let's say the first thing you're doing is getting that roof fixed, that's fine. But if the designer is brought in early, then you can at least make a, a quicker decision of, okay, fine. If we're going with you know, a brown roof, a gray roof, a black roof, whatever, you're deciding this together so that the rest of the design can work with it, not let's just throw a surprise out there and mm-hmm. change things. So that's why the earlier, the better. The other thing too is once, once I get brought on, my first question again is always, okay, what kind of project is this? Is it a, I can only do paint? Is it, hey, I want to change, you know, more of the aesthetics, you know, I want to bring some interest. I want to change the look of it. Um, are we adding a common area? You know, cause a lot of times, a lot of the buildings are some type of common area that's there, you know, are we adding that? So I kind of get the overall scope of what you're looking at because it does vary every single project. Hmm. So yeah. I, I kind of find that out first. Once I find that out and we kind of know where we stand, then you know, you do a contract so that you're like, yep, I want to do this, you know, that kind of deal. Um, and then I start doing the concepts. So typically I'll do a couple different scenarios. So for me, I'll do, um, and I can send this to you also. I think, I don't know if you saw the post, I did a post on this. Cause when I say a Photoshop overlay, people are like, huh? I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an example of what that is so people can understand. Cool. Um, if it's a remodel, I actually choose to go off the actual photo to do my image because I think people can see it better than if it's on CAD. Now, mm-hmm. if it's new construction, yeah, you're going to do CAD. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I'll just 
use the photo, put an image on top, and that way you can kind of get what I'm going for. Once a decision is made, it's like, yep, between A and B, I definitely like the direction A is going. Cool. From there, then I start going in deeper as far as the actual design, like, okay, the spacing of it, the specifics of it, the what have you. Um, and I work with contractor and client. Um, and it's like I said, it's just good to have that communication with all of them because sometimes the contractor will actually let you know because of a given situation that what we want to do is going to cost twice as much as what we're anticipating. Right. And then it's like, okay, well then let's go with option B. And that's why it's good to work closely, you know, all of us working closely together so that we can find those things real quick. And the other thing too is when you're doing on the interior side, any changes you can make before sheetrock goes on, let's say you've got damaged walls, right? Mm. And you have to pull some sheetrock off. Always, always, <laughs> whoever you're working with, make those decisions before sheetrock goes on. It will save you so much money. And people don't always think about that. Like, oh, well, we can change that later. It's like, that just cost you twice as much. Wow. Had you done that, let's say two weeks prior, you right. know, mm -hmm. just so much easier to make those changes. Um, and I go back and forth. Like I said, I do both. I do interiors and exteriors, and I'm glad you're actually asking a lot of questions on the exteriors, because I think a lot of times when people think design, they automatically think interiors because hmm. you hear, you hear design, you're like, Oh, interior design. <laughs> right. Right. Your LinkedIn but, had interior and exterior designer, which is, yeah. I haven't really seen that before. So, um, yeah. and it's, and I, cause I try to get people to start thinking about that because guess what, when you're looking for your own house, or even when you're looking to live in an apartment, you're looking at the outside of the building, right? right. It's curb appeal. Right. And so the inside and matter of fact, my client, uh, the reason why he hired me, um, was because a hard lesson learned. He said he spent money on the interior and he had people, you know, calling him and everything because they liked the interiors. And then they'd come up and they'd keep driving by because the outside was scary. Right. <laughs> and he just didn't put any thought towards it. And that's yep. when he realized, especially in multifamily, how important the curb appeal is. So you mentioned, and, and I feel like we're going to run out of time with the amount of questions, just just because it's really relevant. So I'm going to try to just short questions, almost like rapid fire, kind of, kind of back into the show. At what point is cost, I guess, discussed of the work or materials? Do you typically know the cost of the materials or is that kind of like a handoff thing to the contractor? Cause again, I'm just trying to conceptualize. I've never worked with a designer and I don't know how much of our audience has, but I think it could help, but this might be a reason why they don't want to do it. Cause there's confusion maybe around it. So you do a walkthrough, you talk about concepts, designs, potentials, okay? And then mm -hmm. at what point do they start conceptualizing how much this is actually going to cost so they can see if it makes sense? Is that when the contractor yeah. gets brought in, mm -hmm. the labor and the materials, or is that something that you have, I guess, pricing for on your side as well? I don't have the pricing so much because, again, it depends on where you're at, your contract, or et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so in the beginning, and again, what I've done with one of my clients was I did a quick... Um, a quick design. So nothing detailed, quick design. They took that to their contractor and that, that kind of helped hone things in. Mm. So it's not going to be exact at that point, but it kind of gets you from 
this ginormous number and you start doing this, right? right. Um, so that's why it's really important to work with a contractor and designer in the beginning so you can have those discussions. Now, again, you should kind of know in the beginning if this is something where you can do a grandiose design or if it's mm -hmm. going to be on the other end, which is just paint. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of have that idea, that starts it. Mm -hmm. okay. Then once we get to that point, then it's, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design something based on this. Then we talk to the contractor. We hand this off to the contractor and he goes, okay, based on this, these are the numbers you're looking at. Then we start tweaking left to right, which is why when I do the initial design, it's not, it's not exact stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Got it. Um, and I could have something on there that could be cedar, let's say. And then all of a sudden the numbers come back. You're like, that's not cedar anymore. And that's fine. But that's where you have that, that leeway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Got it. How much of the design would you say, or like currently today of what you're doing, would you say most of it is, is exterior or interior or like, or what are, what are you seeing most investors doing these days when they're coming to you with an apartment building? Um, just, just typically. Honestly, it's been both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And are there any common like themes or common designs that you're seeing and doing more often? I mean, interiors, of course, you're doing neutrals. Um, mm -hmm. You keep it clean. I will say the days of the, oh, let's do white and gray. Not so much. Um, that's starting to get a little bit more dated. Interesting. Um, okay. And not to yeah. say the good thing with white, which will always be the case, is when you're doing uh, prefab cabinets, you typically have four choices, maybe, you know, of your colors on the lower end. And white's usually your best option. <laughs> um, so that not to say that white is a bad thing. You can totally use white cabinets. But what I mean is we've just all seen the very standard, you know, gray walls, white cabinets, and that's kind of where you're at. And maybe even sometimes the floor is more of a gray wood floor. And that's starting to move out. It's not like if you do it now, you're like, oh my God, that's just awful, you know, but if you're going to do something now, you might as well move towards what's coming, totally. not what we've been doing. And so you still stick with neutrals. It's just now we're moving more to grayish and a little bit warmer than what mm -hmm. we used to be. Um, so that's usually what's going to be on the interior. Um, and then I try to do a little pop of something if I get an opportunity. So what, what about exterior? I feel like that's an area that even the, the investor friends that I know, like they're, it, it's so much to me less common. I feel like most of them, they, they can get an idea of what interiors are going to be, you know, flooring, bathrooms, yeah. kitchens, you know, they, they can come up with their budgets based on just materials and doing it with other things. But exteriors, I feel are less cookie cutter because yeah. it's a little bit more design aspect. So what are some of the typical ways or typical things that you're doing with investors on the exteriors of apartment buildings? A lot of times if it's uh, apartments that have railings, you know, you might just think, eh, it's a railing. There's a lot of opportunity in railing. Mm. So, you know, if you're tight on budget, you can save the railings, you know, obviously repainting them, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're black. It could be a different color, but just making them clean, right? So clean them up, make sure that they're solid, all that kind of stuff. Doing a different cap on it. It doesn't mean because you have- What's a cap? Uh, so on the railing, 
Oh, okay, got like it. Where you have your hand. So there are still things that you can do with this simple iron railing. And it could be as easy as changing like where your hand is on the top railing. You know, you could be adding wood to it. You could paint the wood, you could stain the wood. You know, the columns that you have, a lot of times they're just, you know, those little narrow uh, metal columns that go with the rest of it. Um, but again, even with those, there's different ways to dress those. Mm. So there's a lot of things you can do because a lot of these older buildings, um, you know, they're pretty basic. You know, yeah, it's a basic, basic it's a, brick, you know, whatever buildings. Yeah. It's a rectangle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so when you don't have the money to add a lot of elements to it, something as simple as your, your doors, your railings, like that alone can completely change the look of an entrance. So, Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's really good. So I guess from, from just like the exterior perspective, last thing, is it, then, you know, that you can come up with ideas. And um, I would say most of those to me on the exterior are like just, just cosmetic, but I've seen that, that one project I keep referencing where it was much more than just paint. Like it was, it was a oh, yeah. redesign of the exterior. How, what, what was that like? Or, or how, what was the, the back and forth of that investor deciding to do that? Or you, you know, deciding that was the best fit for that option? Because that was much more than just a repaint. I mean, it was, like I said, oh, yeah. a redesign. There was, it was a huge add-on and it looked like a new building after compared to what it was. Yeah, they, they jokingly in the neighborhood called it the mansion. <laughs> um, so with that one, it was just two buildings. And again, this scenario happens a lot. So two parallel buildings, you got an area in the middle and there was nothing there, right? Nothing. And it was not in the best of shape. So it did need a lot of work. And so on that one, we actually, I mean, obviously changed the paint color, but again, the railings on it. So we did change out the railings because they were just about to fall apart. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, part of the biggest thing on that was where those columns were, I changed the design of the column. And again, it doesn't seem like much, but it made a huge impact in that in that complex. And so for that one, it kind of reminded me of uh, mid-century, just mm -hmm. from the clean lines. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to roll with that. So that's what I did. And so all the columns had a slight tapered angle to them, which I also brought into the um, planner boxes. And that's one of the things I do want to mention that people tend to forget about. And this goes for single family and multifamily. The landscaping always gets put at the end. Always, always, always. And I don't mean like, yeah, physically, of course it goes to the end, but financially it's always like, well, let's toss a few bucks in a bucket over here for the landscaping. And that can make the biggest difference on your project. So it's, yeah, you got to set the stage, you know, get the building looking a certain way, but that finishing touch that really just knocks it out of the park is going to be your landscaping. And it doesn't mean that you have to have an enormous budget for it but think about it, put the budget in there. And it doesn't just mean the plants, like the, the grand planter as you walk in. On that particular project, we had planter boxes throughout that the two buildings, right? So all the way down both sides, planter boxes. On the ends, planter boxes. That makes a big difference. It warms the space up. And then mm -hmm. we also put uh, palm trees in because my client loves palm trees. So <laughs> we put some palm trees in there. And again, it changes the ambiance. And so it was a huge change, but it was because of all these little things that happened. And 
a lot of times people don't, they don't see that. Mm -hmm. They don't see how, you know, this little change here and this little change there can make a huge impact. Just like um, the lights. So every unit has a light, right? Mm -hmm. Every unit has an apartment number. And when you usually get on one of these apartments, they've been sitting there forever. You know, maintenance hasn't always been probably the best. And so this light doesn't match that light. And this is a number they found at Home Depot and that one's been there for 20 years. You know what I mean? So basically the consistency of, you know, your doors, your apartment numbers, your lights, having that consistent with all of the units it makes a big impact in the overall look. And people don't always think about that. They're like, well, you know, they want to cut corners here, there. It's not that big of a deal, but it is because when you see the difference at the end, when all of them are the same, it's like, would you go to a new complex and mm. they're going to have mismatched stuff? No, it's, it's a nice clean look, you know, it's an updated look and clean. So mm -hmm. if you're remodeling, it's because you're trying to step it up right? Totally. And that's part of it. So you kind of mentioned some of these. Um, what are some of the biggest, those are like little improvements. And I guess we could kind of go like on both sides of it here. I will come back around to it, but what are some of the biggest mistakes or you think people don't do or, or think that it's maybe, you know, too expensive and then they don't do, and it really hurts the property that they could do. And it wouldn't be that expensive, but it's, it's really a mistake not to do. Now, part of this is going to come back to budget, of course, but sure. I understand like you're, you're, you're trying to do the most that you can for the money, mm -hmm. but when you have doors that have been painted 20 times and you're like, we could throw another coat of paint on that, <laughs> you know, and it's that mentality that goes for the doors, for the windows, that kind of thing. Mm. Huge difference. Cause guess what? You're walking to the door. When you're showing a place, you're walking to the door. That's the first thing they see when they're walking up to where they're potentially going to live. And when you walk up and you've got a place that has the original hardware that's not good, it's chipped, mm. all that kind of stuff. You got a door that's been painted up 10 million times. That kind of sets the stage for what they're expecting, mm. which, so is, which is lower than where you want it to be, right? Because if they walk in and they see this stuff, hey, that $600 place really should be more like 450. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of, and you could just as easily get one of those six panel doors. They're like 55, 59 bucks, something like that. And I get it. It does add up over, you know, the amount of units you have. But the biggest thing is if you, if you don't have the budget in the beginning to do, let's say all the doors, I get that change the ones you're working on and have it in the plan and budget so that as soon as someone moves out, that one now gets a new door. Because it doesn't mean that when you do a project that A to Z, everything gets done before the first person moves in. I mean, usually you're trying to keep tenants um, unless it's just awful, mm -hmm. um, but usually trying to keep some tenants while you're making your improvements, but put it in the budget, go, okay, X amount can be done now. That means when this person moves out, that's going to happen. Not, eh, you know, this one's fine. It's like, no, you need to stick with those same doors, you sure. know, the same everything, because again, it'll take time to get it complete.
but it'll make the biggest difference, especially if your goal is, you know, after a few years, you're going to sell the property. You want that thing to look fantastic, right? Totally. That's a great answer. And I guess just on the flip side of it, are there any things that you see in properties that you kind of shake your head that, that people do that they shouldn't be doing or don't need to be doing, or just uh, a mistake, maybe so anything that, that jump out to you like that? I'd say in general, the biggest thing is when investors treat a property like it's their home. Mm. So now it, it can apply more to single family, right? But I seen it go multifamily um, where it's like, well, I like this. So therefore we're going to do that. And it, it might be, you might spend more money doing things that way because that's your, your taste, your, what's important to you. Mm. That's where I see people start falling off the deep end because number one, when they start doing that, they're taking time away from their business. People have a tendency to go the HGTV world, meaning, oh my gosh, someone walked into this crappy place and they went shopping and they bought all these cool things and then they made it look fantastic. And so they start going down that road versus this is a business, right? Being an investor is a business and you look at numbers and you want to make sure that all your numbers work, that you're getting things done as quickly as you can, right? But when they fall off onto the, well, I'm going to go, I just saw over here at this random shop that they had a faucet that was nice. So I'm going to go get that faucet. And they start going down that little rabbit hole. That's where I see um, you're not being as efficient in your, in your business. And mm -hmm. then it tends to get a little hodgepodge. Got it. Mm -hmm. so, I could totally I see that. And that's, that's across the board. I feel like it's funny though. And there's a line with everything. Cause I feel like in most cases, um, the investors would say the, the, the seasoned investors, that wouldn't be the case for, they would, I feel right. like typically point it back at the designer or the contractor say like, you, you're wanting me to do too much and they want to do less. But right. I feel like for the less experienced investors that don't look at it like an asset or just an investment, they're thinking of it like it's still a home. I feel like once you do it long enough, you just be, well, on the investment side, you, it's great that you still probably in, in the right way, see it as a home, but for a lot of investors, it's just a box. Like it's just something, oh, yeah. that, you know, and, and that is a good thing because they can then take emotion out of it. And it's not a house to them that they would live in, but it's something that's going to fill a need for someone else and provide right. the right quality for someone else. So I'm really glad you said that. Um, I just had a couple of wind down questions here again, mm -hmm. for people that are listening and they're considering doing something like this and they've never worked with either a designer or an architect or anyone that's been outside of just the world of like break fix or contractors. So how does someone engage with you on the front end? Cause it's almost, I think about it the same way that people don't call lawyers to inspect their contracts because they don't want to maybe pay like a, a consultation fee or retainer on the front end. So they don't do it. And ultimately it just totally bites them. So yep. let's say someone listening has a project and also maybe you could talk, I don't know if you do uh, typically virtual or it needs to be local to you, but let's say someone has a project. I, I just, let's say got a 20 unit apartment building under contract mm -hmm. and I'm not sure what to do. I know it needs a lot of uh, aesthetic work. It's an ugly looking building. And I say, okay, you know what? I'm going to call Tina. I, I think this is a good opportunity. So how does that kick off? Is, is there a cost at the beginning? Is it a cost? Like, will you do kind of like walkthroughs or scopes? Cause I just want to enable people that are listening 
to not have that be their excuse of I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to call around and yeah. I don't want to sound stupid if I'm not sure if I should be paying up front or if the cost is very high up front. It doesn't really work for me on this deal. So, and I'm glad you asked that because I try to let people know my fees ahead of time because that way they can build that into their numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, because definitely you don't want it to be an afterthought because you'll be like, oh shoot, I wish I would have known. So when they, <laughs> so when they, when they first kind of get a project, it is good to reach out to a designer. So you go, okay, look, and again, it's like, I'm looking at doing this scope, this scope, this scope, right? But if you know this scope's going to cost me this much in design, right? Not the finishes, just as, as doing the design, that gives you an idea of, okay, I can build this into my budget, right? So that's the first thing. Um, the other part is like for me, I do, you know, it doesn't matter where you live, I can work on it. I actually have a standard photo packet that I send out. And basically what it says is it walks you through and it just says, if you get me these photos and these videos, I can do your project. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing is, as it goes on, it might be like, hey, can you get me this dimension? So as I'm working on it, my come up with a design, but I need to know the dimension. But for the most part, as long as I get, you know, certain photos, I can do the project no matter where, you know, it's located. Uh, that, that's very helpful as far as it could be anywhere. And I could even see us doing like a fun, maybe webinar about like a, a walkthrough of a building or something just to see like your mindset on it. But um, I guess just back to like the pricing thing, outfit, if someone yeah. just calls you and they, they send you pictures and stuff, um, will you give kind of an opinion on the front end or how does it like get set up and what is the typical, like, when is there a contract sign? When is there money exchange working with a designer? So like basically what it'd be is they would send me what they're, um, again, it could be on a contract. They already got the contract kind of thing. And they say, okay, you know, and again, this comes down to the, I'm just looking to paint. I'm looking to do big change. Right. So we had that conversation. I was like, Hey, I think on this one, I do want to do some, um, architectural changes, right? And I said, okay. So I look at it and I go, okay, so for doing the the exterior, the common space, whatever the scope is, this is how much it's going to cost to do that. Right. So I give them that price up front. And then if they're like, okay, that works. Then once we both decide, yes, the price works, yes, we're going to do that, then I sign, I send them a contract. And in that contract, I do 50% up front. And that's because that's where a lot of my time is, right? That's sure. where I'm sitting doing all the design work. So I'll do the 50%. Once they sign off on the design, like we've nailed it down, right? Then I'll split it again and I'll do mm -hmm. another percentage. And then I leave a mm -hmm. little bit at the end because I do want them to feel comfortable that I'm not leaving you, right? I am there to the end. So I leave a little bit mm -hmm. right at the end and then you know, I'll have, I usually I do it by date because sometimes the projects can just take ridiculously long. Sure. And so I'll do a, an appropriate time frame, And then by that time frame, or if it happens to get complete before that time frame, I'll do the last part of it. Got it. So just, just to make sure completely understand a typical first call, what does a typical first call go like, or like a typical first interaction? Like I get in touch with you. I send you pictures of the building. I send you videos of it. And then we talk about, I guess, what the options are, what you kind of have in mind. And that's, you know, just again, consultation. And then yeah. to, for you to do designs or actually put pen to paper and start presenting 
visuals, a contract would need to be signed. Right. Gotcha. Okay. That's really cool. Um, awesome. There's been so much here that we've never talked about in the show. So I think it's going to help a lot of people. And uh, just, I'd even love to do like, like, like I said before, a session where maybe we look at an apartment building and I think people would love to understand your mindset because it's so different than the typical investor of what's the least I can do or what is just broken instead of what can actually be a nice touch yeah. or a cosmetic thing that could really improve the value. So I guess just last question, kind of our wind down or how can people get in touch? But um, you said you, you can work on projects anywhere, but what is the best way for people to reach you or see your work or, or any projects you're working on right now, that sort of stuff? Um, email is usually a great starting point. Um, I end up after the email, it's always phone and text. Mm -hmm. I've got lots of texts, <laughs> yep. um, but so my email is just tthomas at tinathomasdesign.com. Okay. Um, and I try to keep everything the same. So the website, tinathomasdesign.com. <laughs> um, and what I did on the website is I actually just did snippets of what I do, because like I said, I do single family, I do multifamily, new construction, remodels, that kind of thing. So it's just like little snippets. Um, once I talk to someone, if I know the direction they're going in, I'll be like, well, here, I'll send you a couple other things. And we just basically have conversations. I'm, I am not a frou-frou designer. I'd like to say, um, I am, I'm very practical in what I do. Um, I hate wasted space. I probably would not be the best designer for a ginormous house that just has a dance hall in the middle of it. Like that just, you know, it's not the way my brain goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm usually working with 400 square foot apartments and you're like trying to shove everything in there. Right. So, <laughs> um, but I do believe in functionality and it doesn't just mean the inside. It is the outside as well, because if you have an outdoor space where you can add an amenity, I mean, when it comes to laundry rooms, it's silly, but I like laundry rooms. I think you can make some really cute little laundry rooms where you actually want to go and do your laundry. You know, it's like those little things it ups the value of your place because when someone looks there, they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's a happy thing, right? And that's the biggest thing is you want people to want to rent your apartments, right? They want to choose yours versus the one that's down the street. And those little things that you do with the amenities on the mm -hmm. exterior are as important, if not more than what you're doing on the interior. So true. There were so many points there. I feel like we could dig into, but um, it's just not spoken about enough. So uh, I think there's a lot of learnings in this episode and a different perspective than most people get. But uh, Tina, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been a blast. The time just flew by. And, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of things that people follow up on or get in touch on just because it's not spoken about enough. So just want to say thanks. Uh, best of luck in 2020 and 2021. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.